blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, and cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. Thank God for the blood. Psalm 61 this morning for the preaching of God's Word. And uh, appreciate the good singing. Amen. I like uh, singing. I asked them to sing something. They said, well, we don't have anything on my heart. I said, well, you can't never go wrong singing about the blood and singing about the cross and singing about Calvary. Amen. It's always a good song. In fact, that's what that song in heaven's about in Revelation 5. They sung, uh, he's worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof, that land that was slain, amen. That's what they're singing about, worthy is the lamb that was slain, amen. Psalm 61 this morning, and if you're willing and physically able, if you'll join us by standing. If you're not physically able, you can remain seated, but if you're physically able to stand, rest from your seat for a moment, we'll read these eight verses together. Psalm 61. The Bible says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life. And his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. That I may daily perform my vows. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the good service you've had just so far. Thank you for the good singing and the good choir singing, the special, uh, Lord, the good congregational singing. Lord, I'm just very grateful to hear uh, these folks sing this morning. And Lord, now as you open up your word, I pray, God, that you would uh, use this text, or as you did early in my heart this morning, uh, Lord, to be an encouragement and to be a blessing to our people. I pray we'd see no man save Jesus only. May you minister to every heart today. And Lord, for one here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray this be the day and the hour that they would trust you, put their faith in you, and Lord, you'd save them by your grace. What you do, we'll thank you, and we'll give you glory for it. Touch us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I appreciate you for standing for the Word of God, reading of the Word of God, and for prayer. We understand when we come to Psalm 61 that this is a psalm of David. One of my things I like to do when I'm studying the psalms is I, I have a little book in my office. Well, it's not a little book. It's a pretty big book. But it's a, it's a, a book that really aligns some of these psalms to when they were written in the Old Testament. And as I begin to read this psalm this morning, uh, just in my personal Bible reading, uh, I went to the shelf and I found my book and I begin to read about where David was at in his life when he wrote Psalm 61. And I knew this, but I guess it just slipped my mind. It reminded me of the context. The context behind this psalm is in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And in those passages of Scripture, we find that David has had to flee the throne because Absalom, his son, has raised up a revolt and a rebellion against his father David. David was a very wise man. He knew that the nation of Israel could not handle a war within itself. And so instead of staying and fighting against Solomon, he leaves the throne. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, the Bible said, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet, and he wept as he went up and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head. And as they went up a weeping, and they went up weeping as they went up. So we understand that David is in a very low place in his life. He's in a place where he is burdened and he is uh, his heart is heavy. We note just a couple of thoughts 
results leading up to our, our main message this morning. In verse number 1 of Psalm 61, we note his prayer. Let me say this. I'm glad when we're going through hard times and difficulties that we still can pray. Amen. That's what David found in verse number 1. He said, Hear my cry, O God, and attend unto my prayer. That little word attend there, we not, he's not being disrespectful to the Lord, but that little word attend there means to pay attention. He said, Lord, would you please pay attention to my prayers? And truly, David was not in the wrong to say that, but aren't you glad he didn't have to tell God to pay attention? God was already looking his direction and hearing his prayer. And so his prayers in verse 1, then notice his position in verse number 2. He said, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. In other words, he's stating, I have gone as far as I can go. You ever been in that place in your life where you feel like you've gone as far as you can go, you can't take another step, the battles and the burdens and the journey has beat upon you to the point where you don't know if you can make it through another day, you don't know if you can make it through another trial or storm. That is where David's at in the context of this psalm. There's his prayer and his position. But here's a word we know. We know something about his pressure in verse number 2. He said when my heart is overwhelmed. I don't know about you but I know a little bit about that word. We all know a little bit about that word to a certain extent. That word overwhelmed in a Webster's 1828 dictionary. It means to overspread or to be crushed beneath something violently. And the word picture is that of waves beating over an individual. I remember several years ago I was I I was a teenager. Uh, we uh, we went on a family vacation uh, with my mom and dad and brother and sister, and uh, I think we may have been at Myrtle Beach somewhere. And and uh, they had them things called boogie boards. All right, and uh, I don't know why they why they call them boogie boards, but that's what they call them. And so we had bought some at, a, at you know every time you go to the beach, you got to go spend five hundred dollars at one of them Eagle stores. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All that stuff is cheaper at Walmart here, but you can't buy it here. You got to wait till you get there and pay five hundred dollars for it. And so we bought a couple of them boogie boards and, you know, we're out there having a good time. And, you know, the idea of it is when you get to that wave and it start, you start to ride it, you push down on that board a little bit and it helps you fly further. Where was this fella out here uh, in the water with us? And he was from Kentucky and I should have known uh, to be careful around him. But he had a longer boogie board. My boogie board was about three feet long. His was almost six foot long. It wasn't a surfboard. It was a boogie board. And, man, he was flying up there and almost getting up on the sand where everybody's sitting at. He said, do you want to try? I said, man, do I want to try it? Yeah, hook me up. And so they put that suicide death trap on you, that little strap. And they and they and I and I got on that thing and and the waves were pretty good that day and he said now when you when you get in that wave you push down on that board he said and you'll fly out of here I said all right and so I got a good wave and all of a sudden that wave came and I pushed down but what I didn't realize that board was longer but it was lighter. And so when I push down like I'm used to pushing down, you know what happened? I shoved that thing down the sand, went up, flipped over into the water. You know what happened? I got overwhelmed when that wave and the water went up this way up my nose. And then, of course, that strap is beating me in the head. I'm about, I'm about drowned to death. A shark would have been a blessing at that time just to eat me and get it over with. And you can't find, I mean, you're trying to find which way's up, trying to stand up, and you're only in three feet of water. But you know what? I was a little overwhelmed. I didn't know which way was up. Had things beating on me. Everybody around there laughing at me. Of course, I can't blame them. I'd probably be laughing at somebody else too. Amen. But what I'm saying is that's the word picture being overwhelmed. You don't know which way's up. 
things around you, consuming you. In fact, all you got to do is stand up in that water, but even the smallest things you know to do to survive go out of your mind when you get overwhelmed. That's what David's going through. Consider what he, he, he's been betrayed. His own son has come against him. He is burdened. The nation of Israel is divided because of the actions of, of Absalom. He is bewildered. He don't even know what to do. He leaves the throne. And I'm going to tell you what really David's part was. He was broken. We've all been in places like that in our life in one way or the other. But we know this plea in verse number 2. He said, when I'm overwhelmed, watch what he says. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know what that rock is, that mountain? Of course, we know that rock is a type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. David said in Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. We understand that. But that rock is a place of victory. That rock is a place of elevation. He said, I'm being overwhelmed. God, would you get me to a higher plane than where I'm at now? For the next few moments this morning, I want to walk through verses 3 through 8. And I want to preach on this thought, how to overcome when you're overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you, if you've never been overwhelmed, number one, I think you're lying. But if you say, preacher, I've never been overwhelmed, well, buckle up. Because there's going to come a time in your life when life is going to hit you, and it's going to hit you hard. You may wake up one morning, you got life by the tail, but you could, before you get your head laid back down on your pillow, life could have you by the throat. You better know what you're going to do when overwhelming and, and circumstances come in your life. Notice what David did. First of all, I note his past experience in verse number 3. Watch the wording of the text. For thou hast. So that word hast, he's referring back to things that's happened in days gone by. He said, thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. You know what David did? David had a past record of God's faithfulness that he could go back to and draw from when he got overwhelmed. I want to encourage a child of God when life hits you and you're overwhelmed by problems and circumstances and difficulties, you go back to the last time when God helped you. You go back to the last time you were in a storm and you didn't think you was going to make it through but here you are this morning you made it, it didn't kill you you didn't destroy you but you're in church this morning with a Bible in your hand your family on the pew, God in your heart joy in your soul you can make it I note two things that he emphasizes in verse number 3 first of all he emphasizes that shelter from trouble he said for thou hast been a shelter for me. That word shelter there, it means a refuge from rain or storm or danger. And as I was writing this down this morning, Brother Mike, Miss Sheila, I thought about last year, the 4th of July, faith. That night at y'all's lemonade stand when, you know, the typhoon, I mean, Hurricane Floyd, I mean, Hurricane Katrina, they all come in the same time. And they had that little lemonade tent out there, and that tent was going up off the ground. And so I'm going, you know, I'm going to be the pastor, and I'm going to go out there and help. And so I grabbed one of them tent poles. And when I grabbed that tent pole, all that water that had been accumulating on that tent released. And I got baptized. <laughs> and it wasn't sprinkled either. I got about drowned, amen. You know what I did? I said, forget it. And I went back to the shelter, amen. I said, Mike, deal with it yourself. I went back. You know, 5,000 people get in that little shelter there in faith. You know what? Everybody wanted to get under the shelter when the storm and wind was blowing in. And I want to encourage you this morning, I'm glad there is a place we can go when the storms and the wind is adversely blow against us. I'm glad we have a shelter that we can run to that will shelter us from the storms of this life. 
He talks about the shelter from trouble. But then he talks about the strong tower. Look at verse number 3 again, please. He said, and a strong tower from the enemy. Now you study out those towers in Bible days. That tower is where the watchman would be on post. And he would be out there looking. You know what that, what that tower is a picture of? It's a place of protection. It was a place where you could go and run up in that tower and be safe from the enemy. But it was also a place of promotion. It got you down off the ground where the combat was going on and got you to a higher place. But that tower was a place of perception. In other words, if that man was down there on the ground. He couldn't see far off and he didn't know what was all going on but if he could get in that tower, he could look beyond his circumstance. He could look beyond his problems and he could see further and aren't you glad when troubles and difficulties come that David said the Lord is my high tower. We could run to and find protection and find promotion and find perception. Amen. So in verse number 3 how are you going to overcome when you're overwhelmed? you got to draw from those past experiences. But not only his past experience, but verse number four, notice his present endeavor. He said, that's what God's done in the past, but here's what I'm going to do right now. Watch what he said. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. In other words, he said, I know what God has done, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's the first thing he's going to do. I'm going to stay in church. He said in verse number one, or verse number four, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Now I understand the context of this. There's a lot of people says he's talking about the actual tabernacle in the Old Testament. He's talking about the Lord being his tabernacle to that. I would say yes, amen. But the spiritual application I want to make you and I this morning is when you're overwhelmed, that's not the time to get out of church. That's not the time to quit reading the Bible. That's not the time to not uh, be in your prayer closet. Oh, but that's the time when we need it the most. That's the time we need it the most. I'll tell you, stay in church. Stay, stay in the house of God. I'll tell you, there's more help here than there is anywhere else. I know you always don't feel like coming. You know how I know that? Because I don't always feel like coming. But we don't go by feelings. Sometimes you have to go by faith. And what Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. If we walk by sight, none of us ever come. Let's just be, ain't nobody here but us, all right? None of us ever come. I tell you, sometimes we have to go by faith. And I don't, I don't, I, 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 this morning wasn't one of those times I wanted to be here. But I tell you, there's going to be some times where I, I'm going to go because I'm going to trust God's going to have what I need. Somebody's going to sing a song. Somebody's going to give a word of testimony. The word of God's going to be preached. And no, it may not fix all my problems, but I'll be in a better spot here than I would be being at the house or being somewhere else. So he said, I'm going to stay in church. But then he said, I'm going to stay close. Verse number four, I will trust. In the covert of thy wings. That word covert means a covering, a shelter, a hiding place, a place of secrecy. The Lord talks about in Psalm 91 that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Aren't you glad there's a place that we can hide from the enemy? And that place is with the Lord, just as that. Just as that mother hen, Jesus talks about how he would have received them if they, as, a, as a mother hen would receive her chicks. He would receive them, but they would not. You know what that hen does? She'll gather them chicks in and she'll cover them with her wings. You know all them, you know what them uh, uh, little, uh, little chicks can see? They can't see nothing. It's dark. It's dark under there. But you know what they hear? They hear mama's breath and her heart beating. And I tell you, there's some times where you, feel, you may feel like you're in a dark place and God's got you hiding out. 
But if you'll listen real close, you can feel his breath and hear his heartbeat and know that he's got you there for protection. He's got you there because he loves you and because he cares for you. What do these babies do when they get hurt? They run to mom or daddy and we'll pick them up. What do they do? They bury their head in our shoulder. Why? There's just comfort in being close. You know what David said? David said, when I'm overwhelmed, I'm not going to get away from God. Boy, that happens to people a lot. A storm, a circumstance, a trial, a tragedy comes in their life. And instead of getting closer to God during that, it drives them further away from God. May I remind you this morning, trials and difficulties and circumstances are not designed to drive you further from God. They're designed to get you closer to God. The Bible said in James chapter 4, verse number 8, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. David said, I'm going to stay in church. David said, I'm going to stay close. But then David said, I'm going to consider. Watch the last word of verse number 4. Selah. Now, I almost overlooked that word this morning, but that word's very important in our text. Number one, because it's in the Bible, but it's very important in this text because that word selah is a musical note. It is a musical term, and it means to pause, to rest. What we call it, we call it turning the song around. It's called, sometimes the choir will sing a song, and we didn't do it this morning necessarily, but maybe it's a fast song, and it has maybe three verses. And so after the second verse, I'll do a turnaround, not for, not for people to rest, it's so they can get a breath, amen. But in these psalms, they'd put a seal in there, because most of these psalms were a slower song. And what it was designed to do is to allow that instrument to play the melody, and the singer and the audience was to reflect on what had just been sung and what had just been said. Well, who's writing the song? David is. And when David said, I'm going to abide in thy tabernacle forever, I'm gonna, I will trust in the covert of thy wings, he stopped. He said, I need to think about that. I need to consider that. In other words, I've got to get my mind in a spot. Go ahead and make up my mind now. I'm going to stay in church. And I'm going to stay close to God. Hey, don't wait till the difficulties come to make up your mind that you're going to stay with God. Is that what Joshua said? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You ought to go ahead and make up your mind about some things now that by the grace of God, I don't want to allow my trials and my difficulties to drive me further away from God, but closer to God. So there's this past experience in verse number 3. His present endeavor in verse number 4. Verses 5, 6, and 7, I note the peace that he embraces. He had peace, first of all, in verse number 5. Because he had the God who hears. Look at verse number 5. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. In verse number 1, he said, Lord, would you pay attention to me? But in verse number 5, he said, Lord, I know you heard me. The Bible said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. In thee. In verse number 1, he said, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Would you please pay attention? But the more he got to thinking about God, and the more he got to think about those past experiences where God has helped him, he said, God, I know you heard me, and I find peace in that. He, he, he had peace that he had the God who hears, but he had peace because of the God of his heritage. Look at verse number 5. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. In other words, David said, I'm not the first one that you, that, that's gone through some difficulty. There's been a heritage in my family, not just in my family, but in the, in the heritage of God's people, where God's people have been through storms, God's people have been through difficulties, and Lord, you, did, you didn't love them any more than what you love me. You're not a respecter of persons, and God, you took care of them, and God, I'm going to trust you're going to take care of me. 
You know, if we're not careful, we'll read the Word of God and we'll think, man, that's great that God done that for Daniel, God done that for Paul, God done that for David. But I'm here, I live in Salisbury, North Carolina. I, I mean, I work a job, all this stuff. I'm, no, I'm nothing special. These men wasn't special either. They were just men that realized they couldn't do nothing without the Lord. And they depended on God and God helped them and God blessed them. And I tell you, if we'll get to the point where we realize that we're nothing without Him and that we need His help and we need His touch, God will help us too. So I said, preacher, well, God part of the Red Sea for me. He may not part of the actual Red Sea for you, but He can make a way when there ain't no way. Well, preacher, can God get me through the fiery furnace? If he has to, God will be faithful to you. He's the God who hears. He's the God of his heritage. But I love this in verse 6 and 7. He's the God of hope. Watch what he said in verse number 6. He said, he said, Thou will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. Now hang on. In verse number 2, he said, I've gone as far as I can go. I ain't going to make it. But in verse number 6, he said, Lord, you're going to prolong my life and I'm going to have blessed generations after this. You know what, David, something happened in Psalm 61. David found out, I am going to make it. I am going to make it. He thought, hey, Goliath thought he'd take David down and he didn't. Saul thought he'd take David down and he didn't. You know what, David found out, Goliath didn't get me and Saul didn't get me and Absalom's not going to get me. I'm going to make it, thank God. And you will make it. You remember when you thought, when you, you maybe even here this morning, you said, Preacher, I don't know if I'm going to make it through what I am presently going through. Do you remember when you said that about the last trial? About the last storm? But as I emphasized earlier in the message, thank God you're still here. And God's still faithful. The God of hope. There's the prolonging, but then there's the privilege. He shall abide before God forever. Psalm 73, the psalmist said, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by thy right hand. There's the preservation. Verse 7. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. You know, the only way you and I are going to make it through this life is God's mercy and God's truth. David understood, God, if I'm going to make it in this life, I'm going to have to have your mercy. I'm going to have to have your truth. By the way, that's the only way you and I can make it this morning is by the mercy of God and by the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We ain't going to make it without his mercy, without his truth. There's the past experience in verse number 3. The present endeavor in verse 4. The peace embrace in verse 5, 6, and 7. But in closing this morning, there is the planned exaltation in verse number 8. And in closing this morning, Dave, there are two ways that David said he's going to exalt the Lord. He said, first of all, he said, with the praise of my lips. Look at verse number 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. There's the decision, so will I sing praise. There's the direction, unto thy name. And there's the duration, forever. He said, Lord, on the good days, I'm going to sing to you. And on the bad days, I'm going to sing to you. I don't know about you, but Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, they're locked up in prison. They've been beaten. Their bodies are, are, are being bruised and battered. I mean, and it's not the Holiday Inn Express they're in. They're in a dungeon. They're chained to the wall. And the Bible said, and at midnight they prayed and sang praises unto God. I figured if Paul and Silas can do that in prison, you and I can do that in a house, in a car. <laughs> 
in a restaurant, amen, in the church house. I mean, we got God's, hey, you know, God's blessed us more than he did Paul and Silas. We're not there this morning. So if Paul and Silas done that, we ought to be able to sing. I like Brother Alfred Willis said, he said that Paul and Silas got to singing in prison that night. He said God got to clapping his hand and stomping his feet and shook the jail, amen. God liked that sound that was going on, amen. See, so there's the praise of his lips. And here's the second way he's going to exalt God with a performance of his life. Watch the last clause of verse number 8. That I may daily perform my vows. You know what David's saying? I may be overwhelmed, but I'm going to keep living for God. I'm on daily, and it is a daily thing. You know, you can't take the Christian life a month at a time. If you do that, you'll starve. You can't read your Bible once a month and be a successful believer. Amen. You can't just pray every once in a while. It's a daily thing. I said it this morning. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You, why, why did he say that? Is God not big enough to provide bread for a year's supply? I mean, he rained the manna down once a day, every day. And then, of course, on, before, before the Sabbath day, he would rain down double amount so they w- wouldn't have to go out on the Sabbath day. But why? I mean, God's able. God could have rained all the manna down that Israel ever needed for 40 years and preserved it. And everything, anytime they wanted some, all they had to do was get it. But you know why God has done it daily? Say, so learn to trust Him daily. They woke up that morning, and God had that man in that quail there, and they went out and said, Oh, God was faithful again, and they ate. You know what they, they knew that night? Now, this ain't going to keep for tomorrow. Unless it was a Sabbath day, we understand. This ain't going to keep for tomorrow, so we'll have to trust God to meet our needs tomorrow, too. You know what? We ought to live hand to mouth, from God's hand to our mouth. As I said in Sunday school this morning, I'm not talking about not saving, not preparing. That's not what I'm talking about. But we don't need trust in riches. They can take wings and fly. Especially when you get to a shopping mall or a Bass Pro Shop. Somebody help me. I mean, just, it's gone. So you can't trust in wealth and in riches. And there's nothing wrong with, you understand that. But the principle of this verse, he said, daily, I'm just going to live for you daily. Don't try, hey, today's Sunday, right? The Lord's Day. Don't try to live for God for Monday today. Live for God today. Take care of Sunday. When you get up in the morning, say, all right, I'm going to live for God for Monday. And when you get Monday done, get in the bed, get up Tuesday morning, all right, I'm going to live for God for Tuesday. And just daily walk with God. Something God's personally challenged me with. And Brother Matthew's going to come to the piano. Listen to a preacher preach the other day, and he talking about being a daily Christian, walking with God. It's something the Lord convicted me about. If we're not careful as a preacher, we want to be a good preacher. I desire to be a good preacher. I mean, you don't want to be the guy that nobody wants to hear, you know. But you want to be a good preacher. And a preacher made a quote that convicted me. He said, instead of worrying about being a great preacher, you ought to be more concerned about being a good Christian. You know, there's a lot of guys I've heard preach that are great preachers, but they're terrible Christians. I've heard a lot of great singers that had a talent, but they were a terrible Christian. Didn't have any love for the Lord. It was just a show for them. You know what David said? David said, I want to daily perform. I want to continue to live for God and honor God with my life on a daily basis. You know what your responsibility is today? Live for God today. And in the morning, live for God tomorrow. So I may daily perform my vows. And I'll tell you what that's going to help you do. It's going to help you overcome when you're overwhelmed. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention this morning. These altars are open. And maybe if God